Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. Join with me silently as I pray out loud as I bring us into corporate prayer. If you just bow your head and close your eyes. Dear Heavenly Father, in the beginning you created the heavens and the earth. And it was by your great wisdom and power that we were able to live, to breathe, to stand, and to worship here this morning. You are great, mighty, and wonderful, and there is nothing on earth that we desire besides you. Yet many times our hearts are tempted by the cares of this world. Satan seeks to draw us away from your beauty like a lion seeking our life. He prowls to destroy our trust in you. And that as the servant deceived Eve by his cunning, our thoughts will be led astray from his sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So we ask that you would bind him this morning, that he may fail in all attempts to distract us from your word. For it is only through your word that we have hope against the accuser of the believer. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It's piercing to the divisions of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. As the psalmist prays, search me, O God, and know my heart, and try us and know our thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in us. Let us remember that our fight is not against each other. As Paul instructs us that though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. For we destroy strong arguments in every lofty opinion that raises itself against the knowledge of God. And Father, give us grace that we may be able to take every thought captive to obey Christ. And we ask that you would send your Holy Spirit to this morning and lead our hearts to respond to this guidance from the Spirit. Lord, I pray that you just continue to be with us this morning. May we glorify you in all that we do. We pray this in the name of Christ. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. As we continue in our study in Mark, Mark chapter 6 is where we are. Last week we looked at 1 through 6. This week we're going to look at 2 by 2 in Matthew chapter 6, 7 through 13. In last week's passage, Mark had recorded Jesus' return to Nazareth, the place where he had been raised with his family and probably spent 25 years or so. By the time Jesus visits Nazareth here, he's been ministering around Galilee for some time. And surely many of his exploits and miracles that he had done had gotten back to this hometown. And there were probably many who were just very expectant and excited and wondering, who is this Jesus? This is this young man that we've known and what's become of him? He was kind of a hometown hero, a local boy made good. But as we saw last week, there was no hometown parade, no barbecue in the backyard for him. Eventually, in the end, after listening to him and accepting what his words were, he began to preach and teach. And eventually, as we know from last week, they rejected Jesus. They rejected him because of their unbelief and who he was and what his ministry was. They could not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. He was just this local boy, this boy that they had grown up with. They had played stickball. They had played kick the can and all those types of things with him. They could not believe that he was now the Messiah. Their rejection, though, and this is something that's very 
important for us to understand, had serious consequences. Not only would he not do any miracles there, but he left them. And I don't know if any of them ever came to a knowledge of acceptance of who he was, but we know that rejecting of Jesus, the Scripture tells us, has serious consequences. And then that rejection foreshadowed the future rejection of Jesus by all of Israel, not just by his family, not just by his hometown, but eventually his own home country. After being rejected by his neighbors in his hometown, Mark now tells us in the passage we're going to look at this morning that Jesus left and went about the villages teaching. He left Nazareth and said, well, if you don't want to accept it, I'll go throughout the villages and I'll teach. This begins a change in Jesus' ministry. The disciples had now spent some time with Jesus, watching, listening, and helping Him in His ministry. It was now time for them to exercise their newly acquired knowledge and skill and begin to minister themselves. And that's where we find ourselves in Matthew chapter 6, 7-13, if you're in your Bible. And He called the twelve, Mark says, and He began to send them out two by two. And He gave them authority over the unclean spirits. And he charged them, in verse 8, to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bag, no bread, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. Verse 12, so they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil, many who were sick and healed them. Father, what a great testimony to these men. And I thank you for these men, for they are great examples for us, even here 2,000 years down the road, of what a disciple looks like, what being obedient to Christ looks like. We get a great view, an inside view of Jesus' ministry and His model of discipleship. So I pray that your word would come alive, help us to understand what Mark is sharing with us here. May it strike our hearts through the Holy Spirit as he causes us to respond in obedience to what you have for us this morning. Let me speak words that are edifying. Let us be able to differentiate between your words and mine and our mere opinions. But Father, we give it all up that you may speak to us this morning. We pray this in Christ's name and God's people said, Amen. I hope you agree. Jesus begins to expand his ministry by now sending out his disciples. You have to remember, in that time, there was many, many villages. And Jesus has been going one another with all of his disciples, with a whole crowd following him. And this time, Jesus realized, I need to spread out my ministry. And like any good leader, he's now equipping these people and saying, now you're going to go out and do it. I can do more if I can send them out. So this way, Jesus increases his ministry outreach by sending them out two by two. Jesus is following the old method of follow me, watch me, mimic me, and then go. Jesus is essentially telling them that the things that he did, they will now do. Once they were spectators, once they were witnesses, once they were just mere helpers and servants of Jesus, now they've been promoted to partners. What a great story, because that's what God has for us today. He's wanting partners in the gospel. One theologian explains that Jesus authorized the disciples to be his delegates with respect to both his word and his power. Their message and deeds were to be an extension of Jesus' own ministry, not in place of, but an extension. Sending them out two by two has several advantages. One is it's a witness to their truthfulness. 
as two witnesses telling the same thing, there's a little bit more of a witness. This was a Jewish custom that was based on the Old Testament law of accepting a testimony. In Deuteronomy, Moses instructs the people to accept the testimony on the evidence of two witnesses or three. So it's a witness to their truthfulness as two people together can share what they know. One serves to help the other. It also serves a practical purpose of protection, of encouragement, and help. King Solomon had written years before in Ecclesiastes chapter 4 when he says two are better than one because they have a good reward for their effort or for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is left alone when he falls and has not another lift him up again. If two lie together, they keep warm, but how can one keep warm? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will stand him. Again, there's a practical reason. He sees them two by two to give a truthful witness, not only that one may corroborate each other's truth of sharing with Jesus, but also on whether or not, as we're going to see, whether they're going to be judging a person righteous or unrighteous in accepting the message. It's also just practical. It gives them protection. It gives them encouragement. Going two by two enables them to work together. Jesus is also instructing them, as we're just looking at this passage, I'm just giving you several observations, is Jesus also instructs them that there's no need to bring anything with them. Look at it, he says, charge them to take nothing except a staff. Don't take bread, don't take no bag, no money, but just to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And which would kind of make, well, why wouldn't I bring two? Because usually the second tunic was something that you might wear as you're sleeping in the cold or as a blanket in those days. But here he's telling them, don't bring anything with you, but just really what's on your back. They were to travel light with a focus on mobility and ease of travel. It almost seems like the mission was to be considered urgent. It's like a house on fire. You don't go and grab stuff. Just get out. And this is kind of the urgency he's saying. Don't bring anything. You just need to go out and do what I've called you to do. Go. Don't stop and gather. Don't collect everything that you need. Just go. Rather, it seems that Jesus actually intends them that they will need to be covered by hospitality of others. They're not to spend time raising money or working as they're going to share the gospel. They're to be single-minded. The emphasis on relying on hospitality mirrors the command of the apostles to the saints in the church. This is something that you and I also fall under. For Paul will instruct the believers of Rome to contribute to the needs of saints and to seek to show hospitality. The writer of Hebrews warns the Christians to not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Peter commands the members of the church to show hospitality to one another without grumbling. One way we receive the gospel with joy is to demonstrate hospitality with those who share it. In verse 10, we see Jesus essentially is telling the disciples to accept whatever hospitality they receive and not to seek out better accommodations. In other words, if they are received with gladness by home, enjoy it. Don't look for ways to improve or find better housing or better food or better accommodations from someone else or even better company. Unfortunately, today, too many people use ministry as a way to get more. They're never content. And what they have, they're always seeking something better. The Apostle Paul was no stranger to suffering. He tells the church of Philippi, I've learned in whatever state I am or situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. 
in any and every circumstances, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. For the disciples are in a sense of urgency. The ministry of Jesus takes precedent. Don't take anything. Just rely on the hospitality and the goodness of those that you're going to share the ministry. Verse 11, though, Jesus turns and now gives a stark warning. After giving them some instructions on what to take and what not, he tells them that the gospel will not always be accepted. And that's sad, isn't it? But the good news of the gospel will not always be accepted and be received well. Just as Jesus was rejected, so will the disciples. Their lack of receiving the message, nor the messenger for those who rejected, is actually a testimony against them. If they receive you in your house, let your blessing be upon them. Matthew sharing the same story. But yet, if they do not receive you, that's what he's talking about. You just shake the dust. You're giving a testimony. You did not receive me. Just as those that rejected the prophets in the Old Testament those that are going to reject Jesus' message and those that reject the gospel through the ministry of the disciples will stand in judgment and give an account to God. How you and I receive the gospel has eternal consequences. In verses 12 and 13, Mark records that the disciples, though, were successful. They obeyed Christ. They trusted in His Word. And they went out through the villages. And Mark says their mission proved that the kingdom of God had come in power. Why? Because they preached repentance. They preached the message of Jesus, of John the Baptist. They drove out demons. They were successful in doing what Christ done. They healed the sick. Christ gave them the authority and the proper power to do so. And so we see that they went out following Christ and we're successful. Great story. The same type of thing that God is telling us we should do. Well, there's some points, though, I want to ponder of that as we look at just those observations. The first one is this. The disciples have been called, they have been prepared, and they have been equipped and sent to proclaim the gospel. For those of us that have been in Mark now since, I think, uh, January or so, Mark has already recorded in what we've studied so far that he's called them. Remember when he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. They've been called from what they were doing and they said, I'm going to give you something else to do. He did the same thing not only with Peter, James and Andrew and John, but he also did the same thing to Matthew and to Nathaniel and to Philip and so on and so forth. We see that they were prepared as we looked at the parables. It says, Privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. They had moments away from the crowd where Jesus would take them and said, here's what I'm talking about. Here's what I'm sharing. Many others would not understand, but the disciples would ask the questions. What's going on here? And then they were equipped and sent as he begins to send them out two by two. And more importantly, what it says, and he gave them authority. Take your Bible, if you would, turn back to chapter 3. I want to remind you that what we're seeing here is really just the carrying out of Christ's purpose that he shared in Mark chapter 3. Look at verse 14. And what does it say? And he, speaking of Jesus, appointed the twelve whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him and he might send them out to what? Preach and to have authority to cast out demons. Jesus had been preparing them for when he's gone. 
in the same way that Jesus has been preparing and calling them out and equipping them, is the same thing that He's done for you and I. And that's what we're going to see as we work through there, is they've been called to do this in the same way you and I are called. Jesus has not left Himself without a witness, has He? No. He knew that His end was at the cross at Jerusalem. Did that take Jesus by surprise? No. Jesus knew as He was baptized at Jordan, He knew that from the moment that He was tempted, that He knew His days were numbered. And so He was in the process of gathering His disciples and showing them and teaching them and giving them the exact things that they're going to need to do in the same way. Jesus has ascended to heaven. The apostles themselves have been martyred and find themselves at the throne room of Christ and through the ages. But he has not left himself without a witness, has he? For he's still calling, he's still preparing, he's still equipping, and he's still sending out disciples. Jesus has been praying for them for when he's gone. And this here is kind of a test run as we see, preparing him for the day when he's gone. Number two, the second point, is the disciples were to be single-minded in their mission. They were to be single-minded. Don't take this. Don't look for this. Just go out with urgency and do what it is that I've given you to do. They were not to use their mission to seek their own agenda. They were not to be distracted with trying to meet their needs or find other pursuits, find better homes and accommodations. They were not to look and say, well, you know what? I don't know if I have enough to eat, so I need to move away from serving Christ and I just need to work for a while. See, they understood that ministry is all things. There's no secular and sacred. It all meets together. They were single-minded about their pursuit. In Colossians chapter 3, mark this down. This is two verses that we should memorize. Very simple. Colossians chapter 3, the first two verses. It says, If you then have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are of above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Verse 2 is the most important one. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. That's what he's telling them there. Don't get distracted by everything else. Don't listen to the dogs that are barking you and calling you. Don't listen to those that want to pull you away. No, you stay in that home and work. And then when your work is done, then you move on. If they don't accept your message, don't waste your time throwing pearls before swine. Move on. Shake the dust off your feet and move on and leave them to God. 2 Timothy 2.4, Paul tells us something very simple about the single-minded pursuit of Christians. It says, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one enlisted him. So I challenge you as you go, I have some things here in a moment, but we need to realize we're to be single-minded. You may recall there's a series of messages of things that, things that we as Christians are to do. And one of the things that you and I are to do or to be is to be single-minded. Does that mean we shouldn't pursue education? Does that mean I shouldn't be looking for work? Does that mean I shouldn't be pursuing a family or living my life? No, of course not. But in all those avenues that you are doing, the single-minded focus is, I'm serving God. Whether it's as an educator or as a janitor or whatever you may do, God says that's God's will. And he says for us to go ye there from the world. It's talking about as you are going. In whatever way that you're going, 
share the gospel. Be single-minded. I think many reasons why the gospel is not permeating more of our neighborhoods and our families is because we're not single-minded. We're easily distracted by stocks and, and bonds and, and retirements and this thing and this thing that. And we're pulled away from the, the message and the mission of Christ. The third point that he's trying to get here, I believe, in Mark in this passage is that some will receive the message while others will reject it. And I believe this is important for many of us have shared the message. We try to be single-minded, but yet we get discouraged. Turn, if you would, to John chapter 1. The Apostle John here in his gospel writes in John chapter 1, look at verse 1. He says, in the beginning was the word, famous portion of scripture, we know this. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. And in Him was the life, and the life was the light of men. The light, verse 5, shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Go down to verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming in the world. Verse 10, He was in the world, and the world was made through Him, yet the world did not know him. Look at verse 11. He came into his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Let me tell you, we can be single-minded. We can be called and equipped and ready to go. But there are some times in our life and sometimes it's the people who are very close to us that they will not receive our message. They will not expend hospitality to us. Do not let that discourage you. Let that not derail you from God's message. For he's told us that will happen in this world. But number four, here's something important is that rejection of their message does lead to judgment. It's not says, oh, well, that was a nice opinion. That was just another worldview. Or there's just another truth claim. No. The rejection of the message leads to judgment. Hence why Jesus says, shake the dust of your feet, for that itself is a testimony. How you respond to the word of God will be used against you in court. What's that, Miranda's right? Anything you say and do will be used against you in a court of law. Your testimony, how you receive the word of God will be used against you. You will not be able to say, you know what? I didn't know. Well, no one ever told me. I can just imagine the movie then playing at that time as we reject time and time again, not only the message of God, but maybe even the messengers of God. 1 John 5.10 tells us, Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. Take your Bibles, if you would, turn to Revelation chapter 20. Last book of the Bible. You and I must realize why us being single-minded is so important. Why God has called us? Why has God prepared us? Why has God equipped us and sent us out? Because rejection of the message 
has dire, dire consequences. And I believe many times we do either do not understand that or we try to ignore it, but we cannot. Turn your attention real quickly. Revelation chapter 20, look, verse 11. Here John has given us a glimpse of heaven into the future. He says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. Verse 13. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Verse 14. Then death and Hades themselves were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if any man's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Our message is important. Amen? Is dire consequences. Rejection of that message leads to judgment. So we find ourselves and we see, okay, they were called. They were prepared. They were equipped. They were sent out. We see that they were to be single-minded, okay, and then we see that they have to share the message of God and rejection is a testimony against them, and wow, there's some dire consequences. But what does that have for you and I? That's 12 men 2,000 years ago. Well, let me share with you, as I said before, that was given as examples for you and I today. For we stand in the same place as those 12 men. We too stand in the same place of being called and equipped and sent out. You see, this equipping and sending out foreshadows the mission of the church after Christ's ascension. He's preparing them for something that's going to look like in the future. And we know that Christ has died. He was buried, but He has resurrected. Amen? And that resurrection says, I give new life. And he ascended up into heaven where he's now on the throne. And he's our high priest. And he says, while I'm there, I have given you a job to do. So how does that look? He prepared them to show us how you and I ought to live our lives today. Now you and I don't get to walk around with Jesus as disciples did. We don't get to sit at his feet as they did. We don't get to touch his skin or look into his eyes. We don't get to share a meal physically with him, but he's called us in the same way that he's called them. He's equipped us as the same way he's equipped them. He's prepared us in a similar fashion. So what is it for you and I today? I want to give you five things. One is you and I are to mimic Christ in our discipleship. We're to mimic Christ. Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. Bible tells the Christians at Corinth to be imitators of me as I'm imitators of Christ. Just as disciples were just little Christ, they were doing what they saw Jesus done. Christ has said in the same way, through Scripture, see what we've done and imitate me. You and I, we're imitators of Christ when we entrust the gospel to others and pass it on. Take your Bibles, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. You and I mimic Christ when we entrust the gospel to others and pass it on. See, Jesus had this knowledge, but he didn't leave it to himself. 
The disciples gathered the knowledge of Christ, but they didn't leave it to themselves. They passed it on. 2 Timothy chapter 2, look at verse 2. He says, What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. What you see there is four levels of passing it on. What I taught to you, there's one to two, two to three, pass to faithful men that they may pass it on to others. Our job is very simple. As disciples of Christ, for those of us that have professed Christ, we're to be entrusting that gospel to others. Why? Because it's worth passing on. You and I have the word of God only because faithful men and women have passed it to us. The faith, once delivered, once for all, passed down to you and I. And you and I have a job to do. We're to pass it on. If you have children, the first people you should pass it on is to your children, to your spouses, to your family as much as possible, and so on and so forth. We need to mimic Christ by entrusting that gospel and giving it to them as if it's a treasure, as it's something that must be passed on. What's sad is so many of us will take an heirloom or something from our family and we pass it to our children and say, oh, look at this baseball card collection. You got, I, look at, my grandma gave me this, or grandpa gave me this, and so on, and we just pass it down. But then we take the word of God and we act like it's nothing. And we hope that it just catches. Well, if I send them to Sunday school, if I send them to Awana, hey, if I send them maybe even to a Christian school, maybe enough stuff will stick. And then we're surprised when a generation comes and they don't know the gospel. Is that not what we have today? Generations that do not know the gospel. To be essence, they don't even know the Bible stories that you and I, I'm old enough to remember where everyone used to know Bible stories. I now recognize, by the way, this is not a condemnation at all. Please don't be offended by it. But I now know that when I'm preaching now to a group of people, that I cannot assume that you know who David and Goliath is. Or that you know the story of King David and King Saul. We just can't do that because we live in a generation that has lost those. You know, one of the things that, and I think this is a good thing, by the way. This is a good thing. In the fact, I've had many adults come to me and say, Rob, can you just have Sunday school lessons that go over this Bible stories? Because they don't have them. They don't have that groundwork. And those are important because it points to the gospel. You need to entrust it. That's how we mimic Christ. He entrusted to disciples. And then they entrusted it to their people. And they trusted it to others. Another one is build into the lives of others. That's how we mimic Christ. You build into the lives of others. Titus chapter 2. You might want to write this down. He says, but it's for you, speaking to Titus. Teach what accords to sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and be steadfast. In other words, be single-minded, pursuing Christ. He says, older woman, in verse 3, likewise to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. Why? Because they're to be single-minded in purpose, and they're to train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working on home, kind and submissive to their husbands that the word of God may not be reviled. In the same way, he says, men urge the younger men to be self-controlled. We need to build into the lives of others. 
And let me tell you, parent, your job is never done. If you have grandchildren and great-grandchildren, not that that should be given to you only, but you also are being able to build into the lives of the next generation. And that's what we're to do. And many of us can say amen because it wasn't passed down to us. One time I had a parent say, well, I'm not going to teach my children about Jesus or about God. I want my child to live an independent life, and I want them to be able to just make their own decisions. Now, that sounds all nice and PC, and it sounds all liberal and sounds very good, but really what you're saying is, so mom and dad, what you're telling me is that you have no wisdom or gifts to share to your children? You're just going to let them figure it out by trial and error? What kind of parenting is that? Even if you're not a parent, what kind of generation is that? Could you imagine going into our colleges and our, and our schools and the kids come down and they say, oh, I don't have anything to teach. I'm just going to throw a movie and maybe you might find something in here, this movie, that might be good. Well, we do have schools that are doing that. Could you imagine what type of school would you think of that? What would you do with your professors if you were doing that? Bam, you know? It's not going to work. But how do we feel like that? That's going to work in life. But we do. So parents, you need to entrust that gospel. You need to build into the life, invest into the generation beside you and below you. So we're to mimic Christ and our disciple. Number two, we're to share the gospel. We're to share the gospel. Matthew has already told us in 28, Jesus came and said, All authority in heaven is given among me. Go you therefore into all the world, make disciples. In Acts chapter 1, he says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and all the ends of the earth. Let me tell you, that doesn't end with the apostle generation. That's been passed on to you and I. We're to continue to share the gospel, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. That message is timeless. It's the message of grace. Where we're saved not by works, but by grace. You and I are to share that message. And while we do that, number three, we're to trust that God will supply our needs. I believe this is many reasons why we're missing the discipleship or being disciples the way we are. Instead of just walking off with what's on our back, we're just so enraptured. We're not to worry about the consequences of sharing our faith or allow ourselves to be distracted by the acquiring of things. So many of us are not single-minded. We're all about stuff. Matthew 6, 31-32, part of what our church exists for, says, don't be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? It says, for the Gentiles, those who don't know God, seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Paul, writing to the church of Philippi, says, My God will supply every needs of yours according to his riches of mercy. You need to be single-minded. That's not telling you that you need to quit your job. That's not telling you you shouldn't wisely invest your money. Because that itself allows you then to share the gospel. It's not about acquiring. It's not about getting stuff. But it's about entrusting something special to others. The things that you and I acquire in this life can be gone in an instant. It just can be just vaporized. And then what do you have? Pass on. Be single-minded in your pursuit. 
trusting that God is going to supply your needs. Number four, we're not to take rejection, again, personally. Going back and what he's sharing with them, rejection will happen. Don't take it personally. They are not rejecting you, but the Bible tells us. They are actually rejecting whom? Christ. John 7, 7 says, The world cannot hate you. It hates me because I testify about it, and works are evil. In John 15, going back to where Jesus is speaking to them, he says, If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. Because if you were of the world, it would love you. But because you're not of the world, I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. The rejection is not about us personally. Maybe there might be some cases of that. But really what he's saying, that rejection when it comes, is focused on Christ and its message. The problem we have today is that we think that we need to take the gospel and make it taste good to other people. That's not our job. One pastor is famous for saying, you know what, just try God for 90 days. Try him out. And I guarantee you, after 90 days, you won't want to send him back. Since when has Jesus become some type of warranty? You know, that's not what it's about. It's that, that there is adding Jesus onto my problem. He's just another counselor. He's just another how-to book. But here we see that we need to recognize rejection will come. It's not about spoon-feeding people. It's not about taking everything else and trying to make the gospel light, which is what we have, but just to share the unadulterated gospel. Here's what it is. God created all things and God loves you, but in our sin we have rebelled against the very object of our admiration and we've no longer held him at that point. And so because of that, death reigns within us. And one day we will stand before God and pay the penalty of that sin. But yet God in His love sent His Son to pay the penalty of our sin and also to give us His righteousness so that we can be with God forever. And we respond to that by trusting that God accepts the works of Christ on our behalf. The gospel in 60 seconds. That's the message that you and I need to share. Rejection will happen. Rejection is not fun. Number one reason why people don't share the gospel? Fear, right? Fear of rejection. But that's not our call. There are many things that people reject us for. Let it not be because just because of the gospel. Don't take it personally. Be ready for it. Understand its meaning. Do not let it stop you from doing what God has called you to do. And number five, and here's the great one coming from Mark is you and I are to trust that God will prosper our endeavors. Yes, there will be some who will not be hospitable to what we have to share. There will be some who will reject it outright. There are some who will say, I will not have anything to do with you because you're single-minded on the focus of Christ. There are those who will ridicule us. There will be those who we will struggle with. You and I may have to sacrifice and do without because we don't have what can't say the Joneses anymore because we have, you know, with the, what's the other, the Smith. Do, do we have any Smiths? Oh, okay, so can't say the Johnsons. Whatever, you can't have what everybody has. We're not going after that. We need to recognize what God is going to prosper our endeavors. Let me leave you with this. John 14, 12. Truly, truly, Jesus says to his disciples, whoever believes in me will also do the works 
that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. Was Jesus' words correct? He did. Read Acts. Read the rest of church history. God and his gospel has permeated throughout the world. It has changed the world. It is said of the Christians that they turned the world upside down. Amen? We need to continue to do that. Let me tell you this. And you may not see it on this side of heaven, but the gospel will be successful. Maybe not in our eyes, maybe not in the world's, but one heart at a time, God's kingdom will grow as each person comes to understand who Jesus is, accepts what he's done from their behalf, and they commit and follow him. Amen? The journey is going to be difficult. Discipleship is messy, it is hard, it is difficult, it will cause you to sacrifice, but let me tell you, God's will will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Amen? So let's be part of that. He's given us the example of the disciples to show this is what you must do. Would you follow through this morning? Every head bow, every eye close. Would you take a moment just to pause, to consider, to pray and respond? Is God calling you to be a disciple? Maybe you haven't yet accepted him. Maybe it's time for you to repent and turn towards him. If so, would you do so this morning? Would you say, Lord, I just want to accept what Christ has done for me. Please come in my heart and let me follow him with all my being. Let me see the treasure that he is. Maybe it's time to begin entrusting. Maybe it's beginning to be single-minded. Maybe it's entrusting that God will supply your needs. Maybe it's in the fact that you haven't shared because you the fear of rejection. Maybe Father needs to come and just give you the strength and the courage to just break that fear away. Would you respond? what God may be calling you this morning. Father, one message, but it may have many, many different applications and points to as many people that are here this morning. So I pray that your spirit will now begin the work. Let this message not depart from our minds and our hearts, but Lord, may we churn through it as we go to the baptism, as we spend our day, as we go through the week. Lord, may we just wrestle with this portion of Scripture and, and wrestle with, am I called? Am I being prepared? Am I being sent and equipped for your good works? Father, am I single-minded in my pursuit? Father, do I recognize that rejection of the gospel has dire consequences? So I need to fight through the fear and share the gospel with others, recognizing that it's for you. And Father, I pray that you would bless our endeavors. Let it be clear, Lord, your will is being done as we see people come to you. We thank you for equipping us. We thank you for calling us and preparing us. In your name we pray. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.